0: Good morning. We are so glad each and every one of you is here with us today. My name is Joe. I serve as one of the pastors here. Whether you're watching online or you're here with us in person, we want to welcome you and we want to extend a special welcome to all of our first time guests. We're so glad you are here today. We'd love to connect with you. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to fill out a connection card. You can find that in person or on our app or on the website. It's our way of saying, hey, we want to be able to follow up with you and walk with you and journey with you as you figure out your next step here, as well as we have a gift bag here for you at at Riverbend outside here in the hallway. So again, we're glad each and every one of you is here with us, and we're so thankful for each person who makes our Sunday gatherings happen, whether that's those serving in our kids' ministry area, whether that's those leading in the worship tech areas, whether that's those in the cafe, coffee, greeting, all those areas that they lead and serve in. We're so grateful for people who show up to make that happen and provide an opportunity for us to gather and to make much of Jesus. Can we give it up for those serving on a regular basis in that way? We are so, so thankful for them and make sure you share with them your gratitude for them as well. Again, we're just glad and honored to have each and every one of you here with us today as we are continuing our teaching series called I Am. I Am. Say that with me. I Am. I am. And even as you think about that phrase, I am, it helps us to understand what it is that Jesus would do. He would give these self-declaring statements about himself in the Gospel of John. And so we've been journeying through the Gospel of John, and we're hearing Jesus declare, this is who I am. And it tells us a lot about who he was as far as what he said about himself, but also how he went about what he did. So as we think about that, and as we begin our time together this morning, I wanna start with this question for us. And it's this, how do you walk in the dark? How do you walk in the dark? So hear hear me out for a moment. Maybe you've had the experience like I have, where it's very rare in my home, but I'm the first one to wake up before this six-year-old named Ray comes and gets mom and dad. And when that happens, when that happens and no one's awake, I choose to try to be as quiet as possible, leave the lights off, so as to not disturb Amy, disturb anybody in the house, I'm walking very quietly. But one of the things that happens when you're walking in the dark, you have to go slow, right? You're like, I don't want to hit my knee on on something. I don't want to trip on something. I don't want to make a loud noise. So you're kind of like doing this thing. You know, you ever had that experience? And you're just looking for some... A L- little bit of light, whether that comes from the clock or whether that comes right now for us. There's a Christmas tree right outside our room, so that those Christmas lights they're helping to guide me, so I don't trip and make a lot of noise. Maybe for you, you put on a, a flashlight. You know, sometimes I'll use my my uh, my watch here, and it has a flashlight setting, and then it will help me to be like, okay, I'm like, all right, here we go, all right, I'm doing my thing. Very quiet, you know, and then there's on the phone option, right? You you clearly have a flashlight as well. But light is so important to us for us to see where we're going. And we're going to see how really Jesus would talk about that in his own life and ministry for us as well. And I want to remind you what I said last week, and it's simply this, that Jesus wants to awaken us to the more we are created for. He wants to awaken us to the more that we were created for, because we were created on purpose and for a purpose. And he has something for each and every one of us to step into. So even as we're going to hear these statements, and today clearly we're going to hear Jesus talk about light, it's really for us to be awakened to the more that we were created for. And this weekend also is a time for us to remember and celebrate the legacy and life of Dr. Martin Luther King as well. And Dr. Dr. Martin Luther King, I think many of you know this, but was a follower of Jesus. And really, it informed his desire to see people treated the way they should be treated as image bearers of God. And I want you to hear what Dr. King actually said about light. He says this, he says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And it's really important because as we think about how do we combat against the darkness, not only physically speaking, but the darkness that's around us in the world and the culture that we live in, these dark times and these heavy seasons that we experience. I know even for me recently, I lost a loved one as a family member over this last week and, and it's heavy, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and it's dark. And in that, the light is a reminder to us of what overcomes the darkness, and that we don't fight hate with hate. We fight hate with love, right? The love of Jesus. That's what leads us into the ways that God has created and designed us for. So as we think about this idea of what Dr. King shared, and even this idea of light, here's a question for us to look at today. And it's how do we live in the light? How do we live in the light? How do we live in the light? If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up with me to John chapter 8. And as we're in John chapter 8, I want to set the stage for what we're going to read here. Because what's happening at this point in time is there's a lot of images around the light. Whether those were candles being lit because there was a festival being celebrated in John's gospel, John 7, and then in John 8, there was a situation with a woman who was caught in adultery, and this happened at dawn, and as this was going on, people were bringing this woman to be uh, accused by them, but also to see the law in their minds be fulfilled, and see that this woman would be stoned, and they were trying to trip Jesus up, and trick Jesus, and Jesus wisely as he so often does does what only he can do and he starts to write something on the ground and and as he's writing something we don't know what he wrote he says something to the effect let he who has no sin cast the first stone and after he's written what he's written and after he stands up everybody's gone except this woman and he asks the woman where's your accusers <laughs> they've left and he says to her Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. And so this really leads us to what we're going to hear today in John's gospel, John chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 12. Listen to what it says here. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, let's read this out loud together on three, one, two, three. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so Jesus makes it clear. He says, "I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows after me, whoever puts their trust in me, whoever comes after me in my ways, won't walk in darkness. They will never walk in darkness. And that doesn't mean that there's not dark seasons or difficult seasons. That's not what he's getting at, but that there's a way of life because he's the light of life, as he says, that will lead us even through those seasons. And so as we think about what Jesus is getting at, it's so key that we don't miss the significance of what he's describing. Because in this time, there was a lot of darkness. And the promised one, the Messiah, was going to bring light. He was going to bring the light that would pierce the darkness. So for Jesus to say this, this self-identifying statement, really declares, hey, I'm God in flesh, and I've come to bring something that you need. You need the light, and I am the light of the world. Say this with me, Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world, and whoever follows after him won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life that's found in Christ. So as we think about what Jesus says, as we begin our time here, I want to give you this Thought here. What is lighting up your life? Because we all have something that we're looking to, or someone we're looking to, to be that source to make sense of life, to show us the way that life should be lived, to make sense of those dark and difficult seasons. We all have something we're turning to. The question is are we turning to Jesus? Are we following after Jesus, the light of the world? Because he's the light that then makes sense of every other type of light. And if you have your phones, I wanna invite you to pull them out for me. Go ahead and pull your phone out for me. Pull your phone out and put on the flashlight setting for me for a minute. All right, put the flashlight setting on it. You see it? You see the light here? You see the light? All right, throw, throw, throw them up, all right? Throw them up, wave them around like you just don't care. Yes, look at this. This is power, right? You can see the lights very clear. Now, do me a favor. Do me a favor. Go from, leave the flashlight on, but then open up your camera setting. Okay? What happens when you put your camera setting on? What happens? The light goes off, right? Whenever... Whenever I'm looking at myself from the, my iPhone and I'm, I have a flashlight on, and I often try to do this outside with Ray when we're on the trampoline. Cause we have a trampoline, and that guy loves the trampoline. And he's like, put the flashlight on. Now let's take a picture. I'm like, well, it won't let me do both. It won't let me do both. Whether I'm trying to put a, a, make a picture of myself, like a selfie, or take a picture of something else, the flashlight goes off. It's by design. It's by design that that happens. you know, in our lives as well, we're designed to experience the light that is found in Jesus and to follow after him, who is the light of life, that we will not walk in darkness. But whenever I make myself the main attraction, so to speak, and I have the emphasis on me, and I view myself or somebody else as the ultimate source of the light, the light goes away. The light goes away, just like the iPhone. It's designed that way. In the same way, my life, my life is like that too. When I'm not connected to Jesus, following in his footsteps, in his ways, and what he has for me, the light that he has for my life to experience, to, to have the light of life lead me even in the dark seasons, goes out. And also it doesn't allow me then to bear his light to others because we are to be a light to the world. But that source comes from Jesus, who is the light of the world, amen? And so as I'm walking with him, my light will get brighter. My love, my care for others will grow, but it will be done from a place of following in his footsteps and what he has for me versus looking at that or looking at myself as the source of the light. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. So let me ask you, when you look at your life, what has the focus? The light of Jesus? Or do you have that that camera setting on you? I'm the ultimate authority for my life. Or somebody else is the ultimate authority for my life. Or their pursuit, or their want, or their desire for me versus what Jesus has for me or has for them as well. Again, what is lighting up your life? Which leads us to this, following Jesus is what gives us the light of life. He has a way of life for each and every one of us. And I don't want you to miss this because he's inviting us in to his purposes for us. Because he's for you, he loves you, he cares for you. He has a purpose for each and every one of us to step into every aspect of our life he cares about. But we can't step into that without following after him, who is the light of the world, who is the light of the world, and that in him, even in those difficult and dark seasons, there's a light that leads us through. Who is the light of life? And the gospel of John throughout it, specifically in John 1, talks again and again about Jesus being the light of life because he has a way of life for us that's marked by his hope, his peace, his love, his joy, and his truth. And I don't want you to miss it. I don't want to miss it, but I can't get it without following Jesus. So are you following Jesus? Are you coming after him? Maybe you're here, you're skeptical about Jesus and the church, and I get it. We are so glad you're here. We would love for you to consider who he is. We would love for you when you're at a place to bring those questions, those cynical thoughts maybe towards Christianity forward because he's not afraid of your questions and either are we, we welcome those and we're glad you're here. But for some of us, that's not our issue. Our issue is that we're looking to another source and maybe it's religiosity, maybe it's a moralism that is all about image the kind of image I project versus walking and living in the light. And so I'm not living in the light because I'm not following what Jesus has for me. Maybe for you, it's like, hey, my thing is I know what's best for my life. I don't need someone to lead me. And so another word for that is pride. It's another word for that. Maybe that's where you are. Would you consider that Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, it's for your benefit and my benefit. And that whoever follows after him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Will have the light of life. Because again, he wants to lead us to life. Life that is marked by his purposes for each and every one of us. And it again, is holistically integrated with our lives. It's not just one part here and one part there. There's no such thing for Jesus, sacred and secular. It's all his. He cares about it all. He cares about what you do here this morning, and he's going to care about what you're doing tomorrow morning. When you're waking up with some kids that are screaming or not sleeping or whatever the thing you're doing, or whether you're somebody who's a single here in the church and you're trying to get ready for your work day, he cares about it all every part of it. He cares about when you open up an Excel spreadsheet and you have no clue what you're looking at. He cares about the gaps that you see and what's needed. He cares about when you do the mundane stuff like going grocery shopping at Costco, cray-cray Costco, right? He cares about that stuff. And the question is, will we invite his light to lead us even in those things, the ordinary and the extraordinary? Because he cares cares about your vocation, he cares about where you live, he cares about where you play, and he cares about the people that he brings into your path. He cares. Again, following Jesus is what gives us the light of life. Well, it continues on here in John's gospel, John 8, verse 13. It says the Pharisees challenged him. And I want you to think, like, when you think of challenge, that word challenge, what does your challenging face look like when you're about to challenge someone what 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 do you what kind of look do you give I give like this kind of look like, yeah you know like hey you know if I'm gonna challenge them like i'm you know I'm pushing right I'm pushing so when they say that the Pharisees challenged him, this isn't like a challenge like where there's an openness from them to him I just want to clarify we have friends right that challenge us because they love us and they care for us but for these people they weren't Challenging Jesus out of that posture. It goes on to say, here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. Jesus, in other words, says, I know who I am but you don't understand, you can't see, you can't see. And he goes on to say this here. It says, you judge by human standards. Say that with me. You judge by human standards. This is really important line here. You judge by human standards. You judge only by what this world, the culture can say and says and talks about, but there's another authority that's greater than human standards. There's a divine standard. There's a way of life that you were created for and that I was created for, but you only judge by human standards. And he says, I pass judgment on no one, but if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. And so Jesus is just declaring to them, hey, the way you live and operate your life with people, you hold people down. But I'm here to set people free. And when it says he doesn't judge, he's really saying, I don't judge the way this world judges. I'm not doing it by a human standard. There's not, it's not that he's saying there's not a right and a wrong way. It's not to say, hey, there's a way of life that I have for you and, and that you can just do whatever you want. That's not what he's getting at. But he is saying there's something else than what human standard has. There's another authority that I'm living by. In fact, he says it very clearly. I'm sent by the Father. And I'm not only the only one witnessing, but my Father witnesses with me. And he's talking about his heavenly Father. I want you to not miss this, because this reminds us of the intimate connection and relationship Jesus always had when he walked here on earth with his heavenly Father and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the way of life that we're invited into as well. And it's beautiful to think about that we're invited in that type of relationship because of the finished work of Jesus. So as we continue on here, it says this. It says, I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And what is he getting at? He's saying, hey, you've seen my way of life. You've seen the miracles, the signs I've done, but you cannot see. All you do is you see things from a human point of view, a human standard. This is how you judge life. And they're asking, who's your father? And Jesus says, you don't know my father because if you knew me, then you would know my father. In other words, what he's saying is, if you didn't just have understanding or knowledge about me, but actually put your trust in me, it would give you access to the Father. This is what Jesus is getting at. Again, if you knew me, you would know my Father. You would know my Father. You would know him. You would experience the light of life that I've come to give you because I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so Jesus is making this really clear here as he's pressing into this conversation, this challenging moment. And so as we think about that, I want to give us this. What standard are you judging life by? What's your standard? Is it a human standard? This is what Jesus is challenging. Are you the standard? We live in a culture that says, yes, I am the standard. I am the authority. I know what's best for my life. And that has made its way into the church even. No, no, no. I'm not the standard. You're not the standard. Jesus in his way is the standard. And the scriptures are to be our standard. The problem is we're so enamored with self that even when we see the light, like they saw the light, the light was coming, right? I am the light of the world. It was there right in front of them what did they do? Ah, oh, uh, look at me. I look good. Mm, I'm looking sharp today. I like this black sweater I got going on, right? Oh, look at all these people. Look what they say about me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden, we're enamored with everybody else, including ourselves, and we become the standard instead of Jesus become the standard. And I want you not to miss this because it's tempting to hear me say this and be like, well, that means we just need to be like militant and and like guerrilla warfare, spirituality. No, no, no. I'm talking about the Jesus who's full of grace and truth. Do we know him and are we walking in his ways? Do we look to him as the standard that leads and guides and directs us? Do we look at the scriptures and not just the ones that we like and not the ones that just make Jesus look like the way we think he should look. And in fact, it's crazy because when we do that, somehow he ends up looking like me versus me looking like him. Again, what standard are you judging Wi-Fi. Your own life, the way life is intended to be. Because there's a designer who's created us on purpose and for a purpose. He loves you and he's for you. Again, what standard... Are you judging life by? And this leads us to this point, to live in the light, you must have the sight to see and live in what is right. And I know it's a mouthful, but I don't want you to miss this because if we're gonna live in the light, you must have the sight to see. They were unwilling to see what was right in front of them. The light was shining. The light was shining, but they were unwilling to see Jesus for who he was. They were unwilling to put their faith in their trust in him. No matter what he did, no matter what he said, no matter how many times he proved the Old Testament prophecies true, unwilling. Is that you right now? Are you unwilling? The Holy Spirit's at work this morning. He's convicting you because he cares for you. And he's saying, open your eyes to see the life that you were created for. And in humility, we come to him. In gratitude, we come to him. So that we can see, so that we can see what it is that we were created for and others were. Again, you must have the sight to see and live in what is right. It's not enough just to see, but then to join Jesus and what he has for us, to live in that, to know that we have a right standing with God through the finished work of Jesus. We're made righteous and holy. That grace saves us and it's free, but that grace empowers us and enables us to join Jesus to the way of life that he's created each and every one of us for. And I don't want you to miss this because this is the way of life that he has for you. And I mentioned to you early on in the message that on Tuesday, I received a phone call that one of Amy's cousins who had a 20-year-old, battle with cancer passed away he was 38 years old so at 19 he collapses at the table and his at the kitchen and as he collapses it brings about this whole whole long process of his life and the trajectory of it changing forever his name is jeremy and one of the things that i admired about jeremy is that Jeremy chose, even in the dark times, even when you look at what's going on in his life, and even as he looked at his life, it would have been tempting to live at a place where you looked at it from a human standard, to judge it by that. But what Jeremy did time and time again, even in the challenges and even in the difficulties, he held on to Jesus in those dark times and said, I'm trusting in you and I want you to lead me through this. And he allowed others to come around him. But one of the things that's so crazy about this, every time I saw him, he had a smile on his face. He, he would encourage my faith. He would have a light in the midst of difficult and dark times. And not only would he have this light, but you could just see and hear his trust in Jesus and the kindness that he would demonstrate towards others, and the humility that he would show. And yesterday, I I did the graveside for Jeremy. And one of the things that you kept hearing again and again is this man who had tenacity in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, to keep pursuing Jesus and his ways. And for us, it doesn't make sense. On a human standard, it doesn't make sense. And someone said, very clearly, he had an inner strength. There was something that he was plugging into that was greater than him. And it's the light of the world. It's Jesus. And he would say that. He would say that. He would make no bones about it, that it was Jesus that he was holding on to. And even in those times where he was very much struggling because he had a stroke about a month or two ago, And they gave him a a prognosis of having three months to live. And it went from three months to essentially two weeks. And he passed away a lot sooner than they thought. But even in his passing, and even in those last days, he kept smiling. He kept waving. He kept holding out the hope that he had received even in that time. And holding on to the promise that is found in Jesus, the one who is the resurrection and life, which we're going to get to in a few weeks here. But he held on to the promises that are found, found in 1 Corinthians 15 about this resurrected body and about how we don't labor in vain. He had a different standard. That standard led him. That standard, to be honest, strengthens my faith. And it was very cold yesterday, as you didn't know. And it's windy and it's cold and my hands are cold. I'm like, you know, this is a picture of how days like this feel when days of death come. But we know it's not the end. Darkness isn't the end. Light is always shining, the light of Jesus, the light of life. And it's sad and it's hard. And my heart aches specifically for his mom and his brother. But I'm going to do what Jeremy asked and showed in his own life when he talked to others, holding on to Jesus and holding him out to others. Because again, he wasn't looking at it from a human standard. He had the sight to see and live what is right. Again, to live in the light, you must have the sight to see and live in what is right, even in those difficult days. And Jeremy, again, modeled that for me. So as we think about what Jesus is getting at, I wanna read some of these other verses here, and these are gonna be the last couple verses we're gonna read through here in this section of Scripture. It goes on to say this in verse 20. It says, He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized Him because His hour had not yet come. And Jesus always lived in light of that. Lived in light of what was to be said and done as the Father revealed it to Him. He would only do what the Father showed him to do and told him to do and spoke what the father told him to speak and also was on the father's timetable. May we be like Jesus on his timetable for our lives as well. He models that for us. His time had yet not come. And it goes on to say this. Once more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? Again, they could not see. So they're like trying to make sense of Jesus. Like, man, are they trying to take his life? You know, what's, what's happening here, right? What's going on here? And then it goes on to say, but he continued, you are from below, I am from above. Let's say that out loud together. You are from below, I am from above. Again, Jesus is making it clear. You're seeing things differently. You're seeing it from a human standard. You're seeing it from below, I'm from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he, you indeed die in your sins. And I want you to not miss this because this has really uh, important implications for us. That without trusting in Jesus, our issue isn't that we're just bad people who need to be made good. Our issue is that we're dead in our sins, and we need to be made alive spiritually. And Jesus is saying that. Jesus is making it clear. He's saying, hey, you're going to die in your sins without turning and trusting in me. He's making it clear as he can, right? But again, they didn't have eyes to see and ears to hear. And this is for their benefit and our benefit that we would be a people who would recognize our need for what Jesus would have for us. Because he doesn't want us to say dead in our sins. He actually wants us to become dead to sin. and slaves to righteousness, as the Apostle Paul would say in Romans 6. And then it goes on to say, who are you? They asked, who are you? Let's say that together. Who are you? Turn to your neighbor and say, who are you? Who are you? In other words, who do you think you are? You know, this is like, they're like, they're like whoa, 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 who are you? Like Again, this isn't like, who are you? Like, I'm interested. This is like, who are you? You want to go? Who are you? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they yes, ask, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. And I love Jesus' response. He's like, I don't know what else to tell you. (laughs) Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you. But he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him, I tell the world. And I want you to hear this. Again, these religious leaders, those he's talking to, he's saying, hey, listen. I want to let you know who I am. And who, again, who sent me, I'm I'm reminding you of the things I've already said to you again and again, but I want you to know, I want you to know that I have judgment, I have much to say in judgment of you because of the way of life that you have lived and how you've hindered and made it difficult for people to come to the one true God. But he never strayed from believing that his heavenly father was trustworthy, And I love that. He says, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. Again, I'm only going to tell what the father has asked me to tell. He's trustworthy. His timetable is trustworthy in my life. And then it goes on to say this. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. Again, when you, when you lift me up, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know. Again, they did not understand. They did not have eyes to see. He was right in front of them, but they could not see it. And then it goes on to say this, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many people believed in him. Again, Jesus is making it clear. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever turns to me will receive not only what I've come to give them, but this freedom and this life apart, apart from what they could do on their own because they're dead in their sin. And he says, as, 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 as it's talking about who he is, he's always tying it back to his relationship with his father. And as that's being communicated, it says that many would believe. Many would put their trust. Again, there was a lot that didn't. There's a lot that did not understand. There was a lot who said, I cannot see. I will not believe. I will not genuinely ask questions to seek to understand who you are. But there were many who did. And as we think about this passage, and as we think about Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, I came across these comments from Rich Lotus around John 8. In John 8, he talks about um, a couple of different things that I want to highlight here. And Rich Philotus is a pastor in Queens, an author as well. He says this, in John's gospel, Jesus says seven I am statements about his unique identity. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. But in chapter 8, which we were just in, Jesus mentions three I am not statements that are powerful as well. And I want you to hear this because this is really key for us as well. I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. John 8, 16. I am not of this world. John 8, 23. And we're going to get to this next one next week. I am not seeking glory for myself. John eight fifty. He goes on to say this. These I am not statements are to be on the hearts and lips of Christ's followers too. And I want us to actually say these three out loud together. Okay, if you can read them from where you are, I know it's kind of small. All right, on three, one, two, three. We are not alone. We are not of this world. We are not to seek glory for ourselves. We are not alone. We are not of this world, and we are not to seek glory for ourselves. We are to be a people who have our light shining as we're staying connected to the source, as we stay connected to Jesus and who he is and what he has. But this reminds us that I don't have to put the camera on me or on somebody else, but I can lift up Jesus And highlight and lift him up and be a light, to be a vessel of his light. Because we are not alone. We are not of this world. And we are not to seek glory for ourselves. This is true of us in Jesus. So as we think about this, and as we wrap up our time here, I want to give you a couple things. One is this, are you dead in your sins or dead to sin? And you may be like, is that a trick question? No, it's actually a New Testament question because there's a difference. Apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins. This is what Jesus says. But Paul makes it clear in Romans 6, 7, and 8, in Christ Jesus, because of the finished work on our behalf, we are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. Therefore, we are dead to sin. Does that mean we never battle with sin? Does that mean that we're not in process? No, that's not my point. My point is, and that's what Paul's saying, my point is that even as we are dead to sin, we recognize who we're hidden in in Christ, and it allows us then to come confidently and boldly when we do fall short, because we will fall short. It's not a matter if we will. We will. We all do. But when you recognize I'm no longer dead in my sins and trespasses, but dead to sin. The Holy Spirit does a work and deepens a conviction and makes us more que- quickly and more apt to confess. And it, it's like this in my marriage. We just celebrated 19 years of marriage, Amy and I. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, I like that. It started with a golf clap. I like that. And then, yeah, everybody, yeah. I loved it. I loved it. But as, as we've been walking together, here's what happens. The more I fall in love with Amy and pursue Amy, and the more I know her, the more free I am in our relationship to confess early and often where I fall short and miss the mark, and to know that I have a covenant with her that makes me confident enough to come to her, even though I know it hurt her, even though I'm, I'm devastated about that, even when I... I feel like I've fallen short. I'm like, ah. It allows me to come quickly to her and in humility say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. How I said that, what I did, it, it allows that type of relationship. And sometimes I'm slow to realize I've made a mistake, right? Just like we all are. Just like she is at times, though she's never wrong, but sometimes but sometimes, (laughs) but sometimes. But then when I get past my pride and even my shame and I stand in the love that is mine in Amy's, I come freely. Same thing with Christ. Again, are you dead in your sins or dead to sin? And if you don't know fully what I'm I'm getting at, take a look at Romans 6. It talks all about this. We're to walk in the freedom that Christ has for us. And we need each other to do that, by the way. It's never meant to be a solo sport. It's a team sport. The next part is this. To live in the light, we have to look to the light. We have to lift up the light of Jesus. Jesus says, hey, when I'm lifted up, then you'll know. You'll know what I'm talking about. So, so are we lifting him up in our lives? Are we lifting him up together? Because again, we are to follow after the light of the world. But then he calls us to be, as his church, the light of the world, a city on a hill that won't be hidden. And they're going to see our good works. And it's not going to be about us. They're not going to be like, man, let's get that camera back on you, man. Yeah. Yeah, look at me. They're going to, no, they're going to see your good works and they're going to glorify your father who is in heaven. Is Matthew 5, 14 through 16. They're gonna, they're gonna see what you're doing in response to Jesus and they're gonna turn to him. Who are we lifting up? Are we lifting up Jesus? Do we have the flashlight on? Do we have our light shining? Do we have our light shining? Which leads us to this question. What light are you looking to and lifting up? Because we're all looking to some source of light. We all have a source that we're looking to and that we're pursuing and that we're making our everything. We all do. We all do. And how do, I, how do you know if you're doing that and, and if it's something beyond Jesus? Well, you're crushed. You're crushed by their criticism and you're afraid of the way that they're gonna look at you if you disagree with them. And you're a person who has to always Build and live your life because you need their affirmation and to fit in to what it is they have for you versus what Jesus has for you. And I'm not talking about being a jerk. That's not what I'm talking about, all right? There's enough of that within the church world. But I'm talking about following Jesus in his way. Are you you more concerned what Jesus thinks about you than what somebody else thinks about you? Are you more enthralled with Jesus' opinion about your life than your own opinion? Are you? Who are you lifting up? Who are you looking to? Who's that source? Again, if we're going to be people who walk in the light and then shine his light, we've got to keep lifting up Jesus. We've got to keep looking to Jesus and lifting him up. And so that's why we've been inviting you to fast with us. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't, join in this fast. We've been doing a fast. We've been going through the Gospel of John. There's 21 chapters in the Gospel of John, so we're doing this 21-day fast. You're like, man, I haven't been jumping in yet. Okay, come on. <laughs> come on, do, do what you can do. But this is our time to really try to encounter and experience Jesus, to make room and space, to experience his light, to experience him as he is. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And maybe you're in a dark, difficult season, and you need clarity. One of the ways that we get clarity One of the practices Jesus modeled is to fast food. To fast food, not to eat fast food, but to fast from eating food. You're like, oh, great, I like fast food. (laughs) I'm in good shape, you know. But no, it's to fast from eating and to allow a rhythm like that in your life. Maybe for you it's going to be a meal. Maybe it's going to be a type of food. Maybe it's going to be a day. Maybe it's going to be something altogether different. Whatever the Spirit's leading you to do, it's for you to encounter Christ and to plead with Jesus to show up in ways that only he can show up, to be so in tuned with him that you don't miss him, just like these people missed him. He's right in front of them speaking, and they missed him. And he doesn't want us to miss him. He wants us to encounter and experience him. So this is one of the ways that we're, we're doing that.